Welcome to America's Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for market intel, forecasts, and success strategies. Hello, I'm Michael Bull. Thank you for being with us. This segment's brought to you by BOMI.org. That's B-O-M-I. They have the industry standard for education in property management and facilities management. Check them out at BOMI.org. Well, today we're going to talk about tax strategies and ways that you can increase cash flow and build wealth. So stay tuned for the entire show. We're going to talk about uh, cost segregation and we're going to talk about opportunity zones. Look, in this business, it's, it's what you keep, right? You make and what do you keep? And, and what can you do to increase returns and increase wealth over time? Well, that's what we're going to touch on today. Please welcome my first guest. It's Debbie Rodkin and she's a partner with Bedford Cost Segregation. She's here in Studio One. Debbie, good to see you again. Good to see you, Michael. Well, I love cost segregation, uh, Debbie. It's, uh, I've done it on some of my properties. And you know, when you think about the you can increase your after, after tax cash flow each year and, and be able to reinvest that money rather than just go ahead and give it to Uncle Sam that year, uh, you can really increase wealth and increase returns. So uh, in, in brevity, because we have a very sophisticated audience, as you know, in brevity, what is cost segregation? Cost segregation is a tax strategy to accelerate depreciation. So when properties are placed into service, they're either depreciated over a longer 39 or 27 and a half year life. And by moving assets from those long lives to shorter lives, we free up federal income tax dollars. And any property that was placed into service, whether it be acquired, constructed, or even renovated in the last decade or so can still take advantage of cost segregation today. Okay. And so you guys would send in your engineers to go in and look at the property and then set up separate schedules for the different pieces of the property? Exactly. So we have a member of our technical team do a site visit for every property. They take pictures, they take measurements, they use any available data, and then they spend weeks writing the report. And that report will literally list every single asset of the property, the cost of each asset, and mention the depreciable life. And then it goes through a very extensive review process uh, with our engineering and tax experts. And at least one member of the review process is always a certified member who uh, has been certified with through the American Society of Cost Segregation Professionals. We provide that report to the CPA and the client. And once they approve it, we issue a final report. And that final report is what the CPA will use to produce a correct depreciation schedule to help the property owner save money and income taxes. And that's fantastic. And this is not a gray area uh, in, in, in the world. This is, this is law. This, this is all, no one's going to tell you that you can't do this. And in fact, uh, because of a recent tax act, there's even more reasons to do a cost seg study now than there used to be, right? Exactly. So there's been a lot of changes to the tax code over the years. Really, since 9-11, there's been different tax rules that have come into play to help set this industry apart from others. So the most recent tax laws, the uh, tangible property regulations that was passed in 2014, the PATH Act of 2015, and the Tax Cut and Jobs Act of 2017 all provide extra savings to property owners and to tenants. Uh, For example, there is now, with accordance with the tangible property regulations, we have the ability now to go in and help property owners make better decisions as to whether they're going to capitalize or expense new assets. And there is a whole methodology in play with where you can take advantage of different tax laws. So, for example, there are some assets that are going to get bonus depreciation. 
There are some assets that you can expense in the first year due to routine maintenance or due to um, uh, due to routine maintenance or even some safe harbor rules. And then for incoming assets, sometimes you have the ability to expense them automatically due to certain thresholds set forth by the IRS. Okay. And what kinds of properties, Debbie, might be have a more favorable advantage to do a cost-sake study than others? So any for-profit property can take advantage, whether it be uh, apartment communities to retail centers, office buildings, even tenant improvements can take advantage. If you're going to pick the different industries that can benefit more than others, I would say healthcare properties, doctors, dentists, vets are fantastic studies. Any type of multifamily, whether it be apartments or senior living facilities, and those other types of properties that have more assets, such as restaurants. Right. And what are some sample savings, Debbie? So let me talk a little bit about an example and kind of use some of what we've talked about to really illustrate a better, a better savings example. So with all the different tax laws that have come into play and with certain industries mandating property improvement plans, such as the automobile industry, restaurants, and hotels, savings is, is really available for the, for the savvy property owner if they take advantage. So let's say we have a $10 million hotel that was acquired in January of 2018. If we're able to accelerate just 25% to shorter lives, the property owner could save $900,000 in 2018. Now, let's fast forward, it gets better than that. Let's fast forward 18 months. They did a property improvement plan, spent another, I don't know, $2 million improving their property. Now we can have engineers come back to the hotel, revisit, look at everything, identify those new assets that can be accelerated, say maybe 30% of them, saving an additional $200,000. But here's the, here's the thing, because we were there ahead of time from that original uh, $10 million hotel, we might be able to identify, I don't know, half a million dollars that were removed during those renovations right. that we can now write off immediately. Nice. And don't forget, in that $2 million plan improvement plan, there might be some assets that can be, that can be expensed automatically, not even having to be capitalized. So there's so much savings that a property owner or even a tenant can benefit by taking advantage of the tax laws of accelerated depreciation. But of course, they want to make sure they're using a company that has a good reputation, that uses the right methodologies, that's asking the right questions. Yeah. And you guys just started this company, at what, a, a month, couple months ago? <laughs> How long <laughs> Bed have you been in business? Bedford's been, Bedford came into play. Uh, we started doing cost segregations back mm -hmm. in 2002. I joined the company back in August of 2005, and I'm a partner here in the Southeast region. And if we did a major renovation or a, a PIP on our hotel, say a year or two years ago, uh, can we go back and look at that? Always. You can always go back and do a, do a study on any property that was placed in the service really since 87. It doesn't always make sense to go back that far, so mm -hmm. I always talk to my clients and say, if you had a change in your property, a renovation, an acquisition, change in ownership, uh, a new construction, an addition, an expansion, even the last 10 years or so, let's talk about what the benefits are because you can go back and get all the benefits you should have had in the first year. So when I tell somebody they're going to save $400,000 in the first year, it's because they've had the building for so long, they're going to get all those benefits now. Interesting. So, Debbie, if uh, 
I'm interested in the service on one or more of my properties. How can I get an idea of what my savings might be before I lay out the cash for the study? Oh, very good question. So before I work with any of my clients, I like to find out all I can about their property, uh, the age of the property, when they placed into service, any renovations they've done, number of tenants, square feet, costs, etc. We put together a free benefits analysis to see does cost segregation make sense? And if so, we recommend moving forward. If not, we say at least we've explored it at this moment in time right now. The savings doesn't seem worth it, but as you move forward and make renovations, there may be a future savings opportunity. Yeah. And so what is a typical price uh, cost for the service? Well, it ranges depending on the scope, of course. Mm -hmm. I would say a good range anywhere from $5,500 to $15,000. My average fee over the years has been under $7,500. But you're not, we're not doing it unless there's substantial savings over that, right? Exactly. I mean, there's yeah. no better ROI than I have ever seen than cost segregation. Yeah, and I've done it. I've done it on two of my properties, and it's uh, it's worked out really well. Um, well, how long does it take if uh, if I would like to do, do a study? How long is this process? Well, we collect all the information and we do a site visit that could take a few hours and then a few weeks to write the report. So from all said and done, between 30 and 45 days from the time we do the site visit to the time we deliver the report. Okay. And what is my accountant going to say, Debbie, when I mention cost sag and getting engineers out to, to do this? Wow, that's great. <laughs> the savvy CPA will recommend it to their clients. They understand that accelerated depreciation has significant tax benefits. There's no better way for a CPA to get a correct asset list and have an idea of how to depreciate those assets properly. CPAs are very good accountants, but this is an engineering-based study, so they don't have the technical know-how to be able to identify the cost of each asset and place in the proper lives. So for example, we talked about uh, buildings being depreciated over 39 or 27 and a half years, but there's certain parts of the buildings that can be depreciated over shorter lives. So 15-year assets are your exterior improvements such as landscaping, parking lot, curbing, fences, retention ponds, irrigation, and then some, but not all, of your interior improvements can be five-year assets. So for example, flooring. Carpeting and vinyl are five-year assets, but ceramic tile is 39-year. So even though a CPA knows this, when you buy a building, everything must be depreciated over 39 years unless you have an engineering-based cost segregation study to justify being able to accelerate depreciation. That's why CPAs recommend an external third-party like Bedford cost segregation. And that's why they're not doing um, each part of the property themselves because they, they want you to have that study. They don't want to go out on that limb and just, okay, guess on it. So you mentioned uh, there's you know a lot of people in, in any business and you always want to know who you're dealing with. Are there any kind of certifications or things we should look for in a provider doing cost seg studies? Oh, definitely. Mm -hmm. uh, so there was an association that was formed back in 2006 called the American Society of Cost Segregation Professionals and their intention is and they're devoted to really setting the standards in the industry. They want to make sure that there's ethics, that there's technical standards being met. There's a certification that engineers can, uh, can qualify for if they pass a very rigorous exam, and then they, they get a designation called certified member. Did you know there's only 37 certified members in the entire country wow. in this business of cost segregation? That's crazy. It is. It is a very technical industry and many folks might say they do cost segregation but unless they can say we are certified members I would question 
the knowledge, the quality of work, and most importantly, the methodology. Yeah, you want to be careful when you're doing anything related to taxes. Yes. So why aren't more accountants kind of pushing, if you will, clients <laughs> to, to look at this? It seems like I'm not hearing a lot of my clients do this. Uh, well, I'm always happy to help with that. Yeah. I think CPAs probably have a laundry list of items that they need to talk about with their clients. Mm -hmm. Cost segregation is probably on this list. Of course, I feel it should be the top. Right. Uh, but in reality, they probably don't have enough time to get through every item with their clients. So they need to either prioritize or listen to what their client is saying, and cost seg might not be part of the initial discussion. Also, and this is the reason why we tell our clients that we want to get their, invo their CPA involved in the conversation, because even though I look at a property and feel like cost segregation could benefit the person who owns this property, in reality, if they're not paying federal income taxes, cost segregation won't help them right. in that immediate year. Right. So it's a, it's a conversation that we have, and it's a consultative approach that we take to see, does cost seg make sense in the bubble? And then does it make sense for the bigger picture, which is why we want to make sure that tax advisor is part of the conversation. Yeah, well, that makes sense. And I think more people, more of our listeners and viewers should be looking at cost seg. There's no cost to do it. Check it out. Uh, Debbie, thanks for joining us. Great information. Thank you so much. And if you like more information, her website is bedfordteam.com, bedfordteam.com. Stay with us. We're going to have more on increasing cash flows and building wealth on America's commercial real estate show. Stay with us. America's Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty. For customized asset and occupancy solutions, visit bullrealty.com. Commercial Agent Success Strategies, incredible training for commercial agents. Visit commercialagentsuccess.com. Bomi International. For facilities and property management education, visit bomi.org. Buyproxy.com. Your global commercial real estate listing service. Visit buyproxy.com. Red IQ, turning multifamily data into actionable intelligence. Visit rediq.com. Welcome back to America's Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Ball. And this segment is brought to you by my company, Bull Realty. For asset and occupancy solutions, visit bullrealty.com. Well, we have a treat for you in this segment. We're going to talk about opportunity zones and what a great topic. Everyone's interested in it around the country. And we're going to talk about some of the basic concepts. We're going to, catch, we're going to cover some gotchas that you really want to watch out for. And, and kind of the three main components to think about for opportunity zones. Please welcome my guest. It's William Dalsa. He's a partner with Cone Resnick, and he's here in Studio One with us. William, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Michael. Thanks for having me here. Well, I enjoyed uh, you being on a panel. It was last night at Real Estate uh, Group Atlanta, and, uh, and 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 when I talk about and think about opportunity zones with the clients, I think they do have a lot of questions. So first of all, let's, let's cover the basics. It was created by the Jobs uh, Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017, right? Correct. And the reasoning for it was, what, what are we trying to do here? Well, we're just trying to revitalize <laughs> some economically distressed areas or tracks within the United States, 
Mm -hmm. um, and some of the U.S. territories in D.C., of course. Right. And talk to us about the basic components. So the first one is a tax deferral on a property or really almost any asset that you're selling, right? Correct. The, the, in order for it to work, you have to have a capital gain event. Mm -hmm. It could be from the sale of stock, uh, a, a property, a partnership interest. That, that's the, the first component. You, we can't move forward if you don't have a capital gain event. Right. And then talk to us about that. So how can, if you're selling uh, maybe a business you own or mm -hmm. whatever you're selling, um, and you can defer the gain by going into an opportunity zone. But mm -hmm. you have to, it has to be in the opportunity zone area. Correct. Right. And then you have to, it has to be a kind of a renovation or, or, or a development. Uh, yeah, it, it, it can be. It doesn't have to be. Okay. It, it does need to be original use. Once you have that, that capital gain event, the taxpayer would deploy that capital within 180 days. You have 180 days from the event. Uh, if it's, say, stock, if it's a sale of a partnership interest, it would be the, the tax year end of, of that partnership that was distributing the capital gain to, to the investor. So you have 100 days, 180 days from that period to deploy the capital into an Opportunity Zone fund. Okay. And then, um, and then it kind of just trickles down from there. Right. But you can't just, you won't get the deferral if you just buy a property and you're not spending additional cash on investment in it, right? Yeah. So, so additional proceeds that are not from the capital gain can be deployed into mm -hmm. the fund itself. It just won't receive the tax benefits that we'll go through here in a moment. Right. And, and But I can't buy just an apartment complex and have it operate as normal. I have to do a, okay, what's... Yeah. So... Uh, in, in order for it to, to function, if it's not an original use, saying raw land where you're going to do a, a new construction, if it's an existing business or property, you would have to substantially rehab that project in order for it to qualify. And it would be a dollar for dollar uh, rehab equal to the basis of the building. Original, and, and that came out October of 2018 that it was strictly the basis of the building. The land component is not included in that. Okay, so if I buy a five million dollar property, the land's a million, uh, then I paid four million for the building, I've got to mm -hmm. spend another four million on the project. Correct, and it has okay. to be completed within 30 months. Okay, and talk to us about that deferral. How does that work? What are the stages there? Sure, so uh, the investor in the fund, when they put that, the, the, the capital gains into it, if they hold that investment uh, for five years or five plus years, they, they'll get a step up in basis of 10% of on their original deferred gain. If they hold it for two additional years or seven year total, you would get an additional 5% step up. So in an example of a million dollars of capital gain, if you held it for between years five and seven and then actually sold it between five and seven, you would recognize $900,000 of that original gain. If you held it for an additional two years, you would recognize $850,000. Okay. Gain. And of course, you're not paying any taxes on that gain until that point. Exactly. Right? So uh, either the earlier of 12 31 2026, mm -hmm. or if you dispose of your interest in, in that fund. Okay. So on 12 31 2026, it's a deemed dis disposition, and that original deferred gain is recognized. Right. And here's the part that really excites me, and that is the not paying taxes on the appreciation of the property. So if we, uh, if we go into an opportunity zone and we purchase it correctly, we mm -hmm. have the, again, again, spend as much money dollar for dollar, mm -hmm. and we hold that property for 10 years, we're not paying any taxes on that gain. Yeah, that, and, that, and that's the where the return kicker is. That's the yeah. golden goose, where if yeah. you hold that investment for 10 plus years, any uh, appreciation and value from that original investment of deferred gains is, is tax-free. Uh, upon disposition, you receive a, fair a, a, a step up to fair market value. Okay, and, and, that, and that happens regardless if I did a tax deferral or exchange into it, right? I, could, if I just come out of my cash and go into a project, right? Uh, Does it have to be something I deferred 
and went into, I mean, just... Or, originally, yes. It has okay. to be the component in which it was the original gain was put into the deal. So in mm -hmm. our original example where there might have been some additional proceeds you put in that were not capital gains, mm -hmm. th that component would, would not receive the, the, the tax-free appreciation. It would only be that original million-dollar gain investment. Okay. So if I bought a property uh, for... Uh, Ten million dollars, mm -hmm. and maybe in ten years it's worth twenty million dollars. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, then I'm not paying taxes on that ten million dollar gain. On the on the well on on, on the ten million. So you would have Got used it. the capital gains for for your ten million dollar investment. Mm -hmm. You would have recognized that gain mm -hmm. in twelve thirty one twenty twenty six. Right. Hold it for an additional three years. That a ten million appreciation mm -hmm. would be tax free. Yeah, and, and that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, and you think about that because what capital gains is twenty percent. Yep. So you're saving. Two million dollars. Easy, yeah. I mean, and then, uh, that, yeah. that 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 is where uh, if if you have if you're if you select a property prudently, where you're going to get the most return uh, yeah. from a tax perspective. Yeah. Now, do you to get that um, <clears throat> tax-free situation on the gain mm -hmm. uh, uh, and appreciation of the property? Do you have to hold it for ten years? Yes. Okay. Yes. The, it, you have to hold. You have to hit those benchmarks: five years for the ten percent, seven years for the additional five, and then ten years to get the complete wash of the okay. additional appreciation. All right. So if I buy that ten million dollar property mm -hmm. in nine years, it's worth twenty million. I sell it in nine years. I'm paying taxes on that nine million dollar gain. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but if I sell it at, at, after ten years, yeah. no, I'm yes, not. Correct. Okay. What about the recapture? Let's say I've mm -hmm. depreciated the property a uh, million dollars during that time. Uh, well, how does that 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 tax? Uh, on the recapture handle. So that's a little bit of an unknown and we're right. hoping to get some additional guidance on in the next couple weeks. It's mm -hmm. we're supposed to be released. As currently written, you're kind of getting people on both sides where it say it's too good to be true where you're getting this depreciation deduction, uh, ordinary offsetting ordinary income and and then you're not going to be recaptured. But the basis the pr basis premise of recapture is gain recognition and so if we're not recognizing gain Currently, you could also make the assumption that you will not have a recapture event. So yeah. the depreciation will not be recaptured, well, which would amazing. be an additional bonus. Yeah, so, yeah. If, so if I had that $10,000 gain uh, that was tax-free, and maybe I've written it down a million dollars, yeah. now I've got another another, another tax-free situation. Yeah. Wow. When you do apples to apples of, of a comparable property yeah. that's in, in a zone and outside of a zone, that would be a, a benefit. Hopefully, that, that, will, that will come to fruition. Okay. Let's talk about some of the timing issues, William, mm -hmm. on this. Is there, certain amount, is there certain time frames that have to do these things to qualify? So uh, the, the first benchmark uh, or, or, or sunset, you could mm -hmm. say, is 1231 of, of this year, of 19. Mm -hmm. and, and that is because of the seven-year component. So seven years from 19 would be 2026. So if you acquired a, an Opportunity Zone property, in our context after this year, you would lose that additional 5% step up in 2026. Okay. Okay. But at the same point in time, you know, a, pr a prudent investor isn't going to just deploy capital at the end of this year because of just that one component. When you look at uh, the returns strictly from a tax perspective, that that five percent over a 10-year hold from a present value perspective is only about one or two percent. So yeah. Not end all be all to to, yeah. to, to this. It's still got to be a real estate deal that's exactly. worth investing in. And so let's say I am buying this uh, uh, $5 million property. I'm going to put another $5 million in it mm -hmm. to, to renovate or rebuild it. Mm -hmm. um, is there a timetable for me to spend that, those, that other $5 million? So the, from, a, the, from the rehab perspective, yeah. yep. So you ha, you ha, the substantial rehab has to be completed for after 30 months. 30 months. Yeah, so, okay. Yeah. So I could buy that property today, and I've got another 30 months to finish my 
And we're, and, and we're kind of hoping that some additional guidance comes out on that or mm -hmm. extends it in certain circumstances because entitlements and, and so forth and of themselves can take 30 months. So we're hoping that there might be some kind of leeway with regards to that specific right. topic. And, and some people think about the first part of the tax deferral of this to, to, in comparison to a 1031 exchange. Mm -hmm. But yeah. what's interesting about a 1031 exchange is supposed to be a like-kind property, a property held for investment trading to a property held for investment or a property held for your business or another property held for your business. But mm -hmm. with this opportunity zone, not so, right? It doesn't have to yeah. be like kind. So an investor could sell stock in yeah. you know, a publicly traded company and, 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 and deploy that capital into a fund who's going to invest in real estate or an operating business. So not like, not, not like kind in this case, as well as yeah. the, the, the deferral the, the mechanisms where you're actually getting a step up and you're not actually recognizing the full gain. Okay. And let's talk about entities because there's a lot of talk around opportunities and funds of mm -hmm. people yep. investing into a fund. But what if I'm an individual, I'm a builder, developer, and I want to just do a property myself, um, can I do that? You can. I think. I think the term funds is scaring people mm -hmm. just because of the current, current the, the current use of funds. Mm -hmm. uh, the the fund in this case is just a partnership or or a corporate or C corporation that self certifies itself as a qualified opportunity fund. So it's not it, it's not like you, you, you an individual uh, can can set up their own their own partnership, designate it as an opportunity fund, and deploy its capital into a selected property on, on, on themselves, by themselves. Okay. okay. And if they're going to do that and, and mm -hmm. set it up as an LLC, can they do that individually or do they need a partner? Yeah, you would need a partner if you did an LLC because of the disregarded entity rules. An LLC can't have one owner okay. in, in that case. So if you only had one owner, the, the best case would be either to to, to find a minority member and or be a C corporation. Is there any requirement for how much that minority partner has to have invested? No, it can okay. be any, any percentage. All right, so I You basically just create, from a legal standpoint, just creating, you're creating a legal regarded entity. Okay, so I could say, hey, congratulations, son, you're getting 1% of this yeah. deal. Yeah, sure. And, 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 yeah. and he had right. a little bit of capital gains to put into it for that 1% equity interest. Okay. It worked. And, and to find out where these opportunity funds these zones are. Uh, how would listeners and uh, viewers find that? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the maps and so forth, there's a, a, an immense amount of tools that have come out specifically over the last six months that, that are mapping these areas and kind of giving you some additional details. So, yeah. I mean, you can, you can yeah. go to the, the you know, federal government's websites or you can go to conresnick.com and it'll lead you to the maps to make sure. A lot of the tools, they, they're kind of layering in some additional components with regards to those tracks mm -hmm. to try to make better investment decisions. Right. You know, I think there's also a third component to Opportunity Zone. You think about the tax deferral of something that you're selling and you go into an investment in a zone. You also think about the appreciation of potentially owning it 10 years and non-paying taxes of the game. Mm -hmm. I think the third component is what happens in these areas, yeah. right? I mean, it's all, all this was done to create benefits for those, those areas, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So that could be another benefit. Uh, it's definitely. I mean, the whole point of, 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 of putting this legislation in it was to revitalize and bring at private equity sources into these areas to develop and, and hopefully ra raise the, living, the wages of the people who are living in those communities, the value of those properties, so that way it can be a long-term sustainable community for, for low-income people. Yeah. Individuals. Yeah, and it makes sense if, you, if you're looking at a couple of properties and one of them's in an opportunity zone, one's not. You might think, hey, maybe the property in the opportunity zone might appreciate more because of all the development going on around it. Exactly. Tell us about what you're seeing and some of the kind of case studies of what some of these some investors, developers, and, and these funds are doing around uh, opportunity zone deals right now. So I'd say the 
the investors who are the, the deals are, that are, are going right now are that I'm seeing is, is in the multifamily uh, facet. So we're seeing a lot of student housing as well because a lot of the tracks that were designated are around colleges and universities, and so uh, co you know students don't are incomeless. So therefore, when the census was done, they're you know they're designated in the tracks. So we're seeing a lot of uh, student housing. We're seeing a lot of multifamily housing, but everything right now is kind of just getting off its ground. I would say 2018 was the uh, learning year yeah and, and 2019 thus far and, and I'm sure it will be will be the deployment year and, and where transactions are actually getting signed and done yeah and if you think of uh, real estate of location 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 and you only want to buy in the best areas it's interesting to note that these areas were designated based on the 2010 US Census data right correct and then the governors of each state kind of chose from mm -hmm. but they can use that as a basis yeah so that was like their starting point for the, or the parameters and for their mm -hmm. decisions so the governors of each state uh, were, had to select uh, and, and, and provide to Treasury the, the areas, the tracks in which they wanted to designate as opportunity zone funds. And they could also uh, designate some, a small percentage of, of non-opportunity zone prop, or, or tracks that were connected to low-income communities. Yeah, and that's interesting uh, because since 2010, a lot of things have changed. Yes. I mean, the market is, is really improved in a lot of areas. So you might find <clears throat> when you look at these opportunity zones that they're in some great areas at, at times. Well, what are some gotchas, uh, William, that people should watch out for here? Yeah, I think I think uh, everyone's starting to get the mechanics of the opportunity zones A, B, C, and D. But they're, you know you do need to look at the related party rules. Mm -hmm. Those are going to trip up a lot of people. You can't create a capital gain event from a related party, as well as any you know if you sold a in our example if you sold. Uh, a, a property in, 20, in 2018, 2019, we'll say today, um, it, you can't then put that money into an opportunity zone fund that you own more than 20% of. So the related party rules, I think, are going are to trip people up. Yeah. As well as uh, there's still a lot of questions surrounding um, basis. When you put your deferred gain into the fund, your basis is zero. And whether or not, um, if it's a debt lever deal, whether you're going to be able to use that leverage in order to have 704B basis, not to get too technical, mm -hmm. uh, to be able to utilize those losses at the investor level, as well as if you pull out cash from, from operations or from a refinance. Yeah. So I think in, I think in the next couple of weeks we're gonna that's gonna be a, that's gonna be something that they're gonna release additional guidance that the additional guidance we'll talk about. Yeah, well it's excellent. Uh, and William, thanks for joining us. That's great information on opportunity zones. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for having me. All right. And if you like more information, we'll have some links on the show website at CREshow.com. And uh, let us know what you think. Uh, give us a, share some comments. Share the show. We appreciate you sharing and connecting with us on LinkedIn and. Facebook and Twitter. You can find all our connections at CREshow.com. And uh, thanks for joining us. Until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh, and join us for America's Commercial Real Estate Show. America's Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty. For customized asset and occupancy solutions, visit bullrealty.com commercial agent success strategies incredible training for commercial agents visit commercialagentsuccess.com BOMI International for facilities and property management education visit BOMI.org buyproxy.com your global commercial real estate listing service visit buyproxy.com Red IQ turning multifamily data into actionable intelligence visit RedIQ.com